Hi everyone, this is Editing Hannah. You're about to listen to our live show. Um, we've had some audio issues, as you can tell without a doubt. Um, but you know, I guess that's what happens when you're in a different environment. You're not there. You're not used to. Um, also, forgive me if I seem very rambly and nervous because I was like, it's, yeah. But, you know, I've pushed myself out of my comfort zone, and I hope you will still enjoy the episode. Yes! There we go. Hi, everyone. My name is Hannah. My pronouns are they, them. And this is the first ever Queer Sounds live show. Um... It's an honor to share this with, uh, with you today. As uh, we said, this is a mainly Dutch audience, but you know, I've thrown some, some, some links out to the international following. Um, it's weird to be a Dutch podcaster and have most of my audience in the US, but you know, that's how it goes. Um, and yeah, uh, for today's episode, I've got an old friend of the show, Fabian, hi. Hi. Welcome back. Thank you, yeah. Um, you actually were guest number f- on episode number five. Um, that uh, back in the day, it sounded a little bit something like this. I feel like that people tend to be dismissive of just pop music. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of my classmates are people who are classically trained and yeah. almost exclusively will listen to classical music. Like, you know, my music doesn't have lyrics. So... I need to analyze it to know <laughs> what it's about. <laughs> you uh, have to have a singer explain your music to you, like some sort of baby. Oh Is that God. sort of like impression? <laughs> yeah. I like pop music because I like to have fun when I listen to music. All right, Fabian, listening back to that, how does it feel? I mean, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's make, that makes sense. That makes sense. I've actually gotten a lot more into classical music since then. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've definitely enjoyed a lot more sort of um, bebop jazz and stuff. I've been, especially like when the John Coltrane Untitled album came out a couple of years ago, sort of like the Missing Records. Right. Um, I really got into that. And I mean, yeah, I do like analyzing music. It's just, I also like to have fun. Yeah, sure. It makes sense. Um, for today, though, usually we play four tracks uh, following a specific concept, specific pattern. But for today, because it's a live show, I want to do something different and um, have two songs compete with each other. And so you've picked one, I've picked one, and um, yeah, why don't you just go and give a little bit of a speech, one sentence, why did you pick that specific song? So I've chosen No Matter What Sign You Are by Donna Summer and the Supremes. Um, The topic you gave me was queer anthems. So I decided to go into all the bits and bobs I have from like the research I did for my degree. And I had um, an old list from the Stonewalls Veterans Association. That's a Um, very long one sentence, Fabian. (laughs) (laughs) It's because it's old. All right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so um, basically what we've got, we've got the Supremes, because it's old, and I picked Run Away With Me by Carteret Jepsen, in part because it's a newer track, but also because emotion is the one and only 
emotion that I need. That one specific phenomenal pop anthem and uh, anthemic album. So yeah, I, I guess let's get the first track of the day going. Um, Diana Ross and the Supremes. No matter what sign you are. Sign you are Donna Summer and the uh, no, not Donna Summer. I'm mixing things up. Diana Ross and the Supremes. Yeah, here I am being a music nerd and getting my uh, getting my information wrong. I have the excuse of only being awake for an hour. I don't know your excuse. <laughs> all right. Um, before we dive into the actual conversation about this, I want to give a quick shout out to all of the people in the live stream. Um, you can submit your questions there. Also, before I forget, um, if you're following this from your respective homes. You can also submit questions through at QueerSoundsPod on Twitter or at QueerSoundsPod on Instagram. We'll get back to that. Also, um, you know, where there's two songs competing, one will come out victorious. Um, I've put a poll up on Twitter. I've put a poll up on Instagram. Vote for your favorites at QueerSoundsPod and we'll see who will uh, come out on top. So yeah, you said you picked it because it's old. Um, 1996 specifically, same year as the Stonewall Riots. 1969. 1969. Uh, you, dutched, you dutched that one. Yeah, really I dutched, dutched that one. <laughs> 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 um, but, um, yeah, I was trying to explain it earlier, but, you know, timing. Um, exactly. So, yeah, I was looking in the old sort of material I'd used for my studies before, and I had um, a top ten list from the Stonewall Veterans Association of their top 10 songs from June. Right. June 1969, specifically, which is when the Stonewall riots happened. And um, No Matter What Sign You Are was top of the list. So I figured, you know, that's clearly the jam of throwing bricks at cops. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know... Uh, also a very timely, still appropriate... Oh, for uh, sure. Especially right now. Yeah, like, exactly. Um... So, how do you imagine that going down? You know, there's people literally throwing rocks with no matter how sad you are playing in, in the distance. I think it's incredibly romantic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna make a stupid joke, then no matter what sign you are, all of the cops should be a stop sign. <laughs> um, 
Do you know this song was actually also uh, sampled by the Beastie Boys? Really? Yeah. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a, a clip of it, but apparently it was on Shake Your Rump. Nice. It was yeah, nineteen eighty nine. So I guess we're skipping a few decades, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of examples of um, tracks being resampled over and over and over again. Like Mizzaloo is a fantastic example of that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like coming from like 1920s Greek folk music and then Dick Dale and then you, know, you fast forward, you've got the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, same thing goes, what's that song again? Um, uh, Dua Lipa's Love Again. That, oh, that also yeah. has like some jazz sample from the 1930s, yeah. which somewhat sounds like the Imperial March as well for some reason. <laughs> and they've done some proper crate digging there. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Kanye West is also a fantastic example of that. I mean... Not a great person. Fantastic sampler. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can find with that. Um, I also wanted to point out that no matter what sign you are, if we're gonna look through 2020 Instagram gay, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Culture in general. The the entire concept that there are Instagram accounts just purely based around what sign you are. If I'm not mistaken, you're a Gemini, right? No, I'm a cancer. I was born on the 22nd of June. All right, yeah. So, so I got the June bit, right? Yeah. Um, also a water sign, though. I'm yeah. a Pisces. Um, snip, snip, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we swear on this? Yeah, oh. we've, we've sworn before. That's, oh. I'm just, I just blindly give every episode the explicit mark and see whatever, what, what, what happens. Um, I do kind of think it's funny, though, like that's, that the concept of... Uh, no matter what sign you are, goes back to 19, 1996 was already a thing within the culture. I wonder if people at that time would actually have the same thoughts about it. Like, um, you start dating someone uh, in 1996 and it's like, oh yeah, this is a... 1969. 1969, <laughs> goddamn. It's like, that's a com complete Aries. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. I don't know, I mean... If you look back at uh, Vogue, for example, they definitely had um, like the star signs and you know, astrology. Yeah, the horoscope like, thing. Yeah, the horoscopes uh, in there like, for ages. Like, uh, I think they started putting that in really early on. Right. And um, sort of involvement in the occult and uh, sort of astrology and other sort of beliefs like that, like paganism and such, obviously has had its waves, like, you know, based on... Um, you know, how Christian your household <laughs> is um, and sort of attitudes towards that. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been in at least the Western modern lexicon for some time. I mean, it's Greek inherently. Like sure, yeah. Looking up and going, like, all right, now what's going to happen tomorrow? Back to you and what have you been up to, though? Because if we're going to talk about... Um Stonewall, then we can easily draw a line to grassroots organizations such as the one you've been involved with, um, Aku. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's because, you know, queer parties aren't happening anymore, but you are actually finding a way to make them happen from a distance? Yeah, we're doing live streams at the moment. So every Friday and Saturday we uh, invite our usual roster of DJs to come in and uh, we have like a live stream from 10 till 2 on our Twitch account sure. so um, yeah I was DJing last night for the Bitmin Aku set um, and I think tonight we've got uh, 
wave crash, which is like uh, synth wave, post punk, all that nice dark stuff, nice goth. So how, when you DJ, how often do you actually play Diana Ross and the Supremes? Oh, I don't. I, I play much worse music. Such as? Uh, 100 gags. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll get, we'll get back at 100 gags later on. Um, so um, if you're going to go with um, grassroots nightlife organizations, how have you been holding up? Um, I will say that Aku has hadn't, hasn't had a great time. Um, well, no one has. Uh, I think it's also the building itself is small. Like the setup just doesn't allow a reasonable amount of people to be in there for money to be made and for a, an event to actually go on. But we've had so much support from the community, especially with the Solidarity Kitchen. Right, yeah. Like uh, the amount of donations that came flooding in as soon as we opened that up was absolutely outstanding. And now that we have merch online, like we have T-shirts that. Are flying off like we're struggling to keep up with the supply and demand now that's good but um yeah it's uh it's really good at the moment like we're getting into a routine now where we can uh now have an audience that expects us to be there on twitch by 10 o'clock right and we're sort of like creating this new normal this new pace where we can start to do things safely how uh, do you also have specific like queer nights that happen over there? Oh yeah, for sure. We have uh, yeah. cruise control and we have the lick. Um, so cruise control has been going on since two thousand and one. That's that's way longer than I expected. Yeah, like uh, they. So explain the concept of cruise control to the audience. Well, cruise control is um, it is your classic queer night. It is uh, wacky. It's uh, punk. It's uh, disco, it's you know glitter beards and wigs and ankle warmers. It's madness, really. So, how do you translate all of that madness into a live stream? Oh, we just have several camera angles so we can capture all of their outfits. They're wearing a lot, like including outfit changes. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, luckily they do have access to the backstage, so they can you know quickly slip on something else. But most of the time, the outfit changes are taking off the clothes. <laughs> yeah, you end up with them all in their pants at the end of the night. Have to clean that. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so you mentioned 100 Gex. Yes. That also actually draws back to the first episode that we recorded together. Um, the use of autotune. Um, we played Dorian Electra back then, and I guess 100 Gex takes it a step further. Yeah, so like if you look at Dorian Electra, like um, they're definitely in the genre of hyperpop, and Hundred Gex basically just turns up the hyper. Right. Like, yeah. um, so like Laura Less, who's one of the vocalists in Hundred Gex, like she's a trans woman, and like Dorian Electra experimenting with gender in their music inherently, like using drag and um, you know gender play in the music videos and in the music itself. Like the use of auto-tune is something that is no longer a crutch as it was for artists who sucked ass. Um, but it's now uh, more of, sort of like a tool for artists who you know, might experience voice dysphoria or um, you know, just want to create this artistic persona that is an exaggeration of the self or an exaggeration of... Um, the intention of the self. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it became an artistic choice. Yeah, in yeah, a sense. Um, Is that also what what makes it appeal to you? Just the um, the over the top use of auto tune, the the very experimental part of it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I really enjoy, especially about 100 Gex, is just how hard it hits. Right. Like, once you've got it in a room with a massive speaker system, like, I mean, like Charlie XEX and a Schneeko and 100 Gex, you've got this massive uh, side-chain bass drum that comes in and it feels like you're being shot five times in a second. <laughs> yeah, what's their... Um uh, the, the, the one song they've got, I think it's called Money Machine or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, the one where they're in front of the Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> Your arms look like tiny cigarettes. <laughs> I could smoke you and then I'll ghost you. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, to what extent do you feel like, okay, this is just too much because 100 Gex can do whatever the fuck they want, but as soon as you know they hit a certain ceiling of this is just not listenable anymore, I feel like. I guess then you sort of you, you do sort of breach into noise art. Like I mean, you could claim that hyperpop has been done for ages by Death Grips or something, but like or like uh, Lightning Bolt, but they're just at that blurred edge. If you listen to Lightning Bolt, like uh, I mean, he's a noise artist. He just sits behind a drum set, beating the crap out of it. Right, yeah. and then yelling into a microphone with a bunch of guitar pedal effects on it. Um, but I think uh, the thing about hyperpop is that it does blend the aesthetics from pop of the early to mid-2000s with the aesthetics of current pop today and uh, hip-hop, and then just turns it into a cartoon. Right, sure. Like um, Easy Fun is another example. That is complete comedy, the whole thing. Like, you even look at their, um, their album covers and it's like crappy CGI and uh, it's like looking at a Cheeky Girls album. Like it's... Uh -huh. You know, Cheeky Girls from, uh, it's from the UK. It's like from Pop Idol. Right. They uh, were a one-hit wonder. Sure, I don't feel like I've missed, on, uh, missed out on you a lot. You really did not. <laughs> All right. Um, shall we get some music going again? Oh, sure. All right, this is my entry for today. Run away with me by Carly Rae Jepsen.
Carly Rae Jepsen. I fucking love this song. <laughs> the saxophone, the pounding beats. It's the, like we mentioned before, over the top pop um, sound of it. It's so phenomenal. Um, I actually, it's um, a lot of people prefer Cut to the Feeling over Run Away With Me. I think that became a bigger hit because it went viral on Instagram with, with the person throwing off the wigs. You know that oh, video? Yeah. That, so, so I guess in that way it, it um, got some more, le left a bigger um, mark on, on, on queer culture. But this song, the saxophones, you just give me a good saxophone and I'm, I'm, I'm down. Um, although I do have, my, my favorite memory of, of seeing Conor Ray Jepsen live was during Cut to the Feeling. Um, I was uh, I was at the Best Kept Secret Festival uh, last year, and it was just a lovely day. Um, rainy, uh, the 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 sun was out, the temperatures were lovely, and <sighs> Conley Ray Jepsen was on, and uh, when she played "Cut to the Feeling," you could uh, you could see the clouds, you know, get, uh, rolling in, and That's as the power of CRJ. As soon as she said, I want to cut through the crowd, uh, clouds break the ceiling, that's when it started raining. And that timing was just so perfect. Everyone's just euphoric. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you've missed out. I know you want to go as well. Of course I do. So, yeah, what, what, why, what, are, you, what are your first thoughts uh, on this song compared to Diana Ross? I mean, it's uh, that particular album, like Emotions, especially Side B, um, like, it has sort of been amalgamated into the soundtrack of queer culture. Um, I think mostly because of its use of 80s musical aesthetics. Right, yeah. Like, I think we've spoken about this before, like, um, the use of 80s synths and sort of, I guess, also sort of the imitation of 80s music, not necessarily an accurate representation, but an imitation of like um, 80s yeah, specific style. specific aspects of it get amplified. Yeah, yeah, and um, the use of that in sort of today's music is something that you tend to see a lot more in music that's favored by the queer community, at least in the past five years, in my experience. And um, I think that does go back to sort of the 80s being a very pivotal point for the yeah. community. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the elephant in the room here. If we're going to have a, uh, an episode with the two songs being acclaimed uh, queer anthems, quote-unquote, we've both, we've both stick, uh, chosen two cis, as far as we know, straight women. Yeah. Um, how, how would you think that happened? Because... Um, I think I've, I've got an idea, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Well, I think it's definitely diva culture. Like, yeah. I mean, Kylie Rae Jepsen is kind of getting that uh, point of being a diva. I think she needs to age another 30 years until we can actually call her a diva. <laughs> like, you know, get to Cher's level first, please. All right. But, um, sure. Like, Diana Ross, I mean, absolutely a diva. I mean, she's achieved a lot in her lifetime, and on top of that being a black woman in the 60s, um, a woman in the 60s, just being in the 60s, <laughs> <laughs> um, and making music that really uh, sort of empowered people. 
mm. and uh, sort of had a message of love and empowerment and self-love, which are all sort of like the facets that you tend to hear in these songs from Stonewall. Right. And it's like, um, like with respect, Aretha Franklin, that's still a gay anthem. Yeah. That's like OG definitely. shit. Um, about Diana Ross, I actually have a little bit of an anecdote there. Um, because, you know, if we're going to mention Diana Ross in a queer podcast, we can't move around her maybe biggest single that, that's, still, um, that, that's still popular today, which is I'm Coming Out. Of course. Um, and apparently, when she recorded it, she wasn't even aware that that was a gay thing. <laughs> no, I've, um, I found this interview with Nile Rogers, who produced the entire Diana album. Mm. Um, so, uh, it, it was, I think, in the New York Post. I'm Coming Out, the second single, was inspired after Rogers saw a bunch of Diana Ross impersonators in the bathroom at Gigi Barnum's room, a predominantly transgender club in Midtown Manhattan. All of a sudden, a light bulb goes off in my head, he says. I had to go outside and call Bernard, bass player of Chic, uh, from a telephone booth. I said, Bernard, please write down the words I'm coming out. And I explained the whole thing to him. And, you know, they wrote that. So th they wrote that song after seeing a bunch of uh, drag performers, trans people. And Diana Ross wasn't even aware that that was the origin of the lyric when she recorded it. That's so absurd. Like, we've got one of the biggest queer hits in history. It wasn't even intended to be that. Uh, well, the singer didn't intend for it to be that. Now Rogers definitely knew what he was on about because he is A, a very great songwriter, and B, also very clever when it comes to business and marketing. He, oh, just, sure, yeah. he just saw an untapped market. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, especially at that time. Yeah. Like, um, looking at sort of queer nightlife then um, like they really were starting to get this big split like um, you know after the AIDS crisis really hit the states um, there was this big split so like between white gay people and black gay people and the nightlife really sort of just took this massive divergence like people were avoiding each other it became this massive race issue it became a homophobia issue like, if you were black and gay, like, you just had other black gay people. Like, uh, one of the things that did come out of it, though, was New York House. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, looking at the ball scene, like, um, you know, the predominantly black, queer, well, po on the poverty line community right. that was living in Greenwich Village, who would go out to these balls and you know, perform drag and do voguing and dancing and also sorts like um, that was predominantly a black thing and it was predominantly where New York House came from and it's you know the thing that inspired Madonna's Vogue as well. I do kind of feel like I'm missing a few steps here because my um, my my what I knew about house and techno is just that uh, this started in Chicago Detroit names like Frankie Knuckles do you know how it flew over to New York because I don't have a clue no, I don't really know. I mean, if you look at like the history of DJs in New York with Grandmaster Flash and okay, Africa yeah, Bombarda and all of that, like you've got these guys with records who are uh, just scratching and mixing, like so in the seventies, and then you know New York House, obviously, is an extension of those styles, and then with instrumentation, like 
Yeah, so it, it just kind of was a similar development, uh, you know, evolving separate from each other and then merging in the end. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's still... Ending up the, in similar places. It's still the states. And all of these cities that exist in vacuums, like, that, they have a train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, true. But, you know, when you're, when you're in your warehouse doing your own thing, it doesn't necessarily... Just because you could travel doesn't mean they did. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there was a lot of pirate radio at the time, though. Oh, yeah, like college radio stations as well, I guess. Yeah, like, um, I mean, literally pirate radio. Like, Grandmaster Flash was on a lot of pirate radio at the beginning. Right. I feel like this has become a very long um, sidetrack from the actual pop divas that <laughs> yeah. we were talking about. But, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. Um, so, if you would have to name your favorite queer pop... Oh, no, wait. There is a bigger question I want to ask how to actually define a queer pop anthem? Oh, I think um, it needs to be defined by the community first. So yeah. you can't just release a track and say, this is a queer pop anthem. Like, no, you've got to let the, gotta let the gays decide. You know, you've got to go to the council and then you've got to apply for a <laughs> permit. And then you've got the six to nine weeks of waiting. Uh, but like, um, I think it's something that like with um, respect, like with no matter what sign you are, like with all these old school, uh, like Shirley Bassey-esque sort of tracks, like it's all about self-love, it's all about mutual respect, it's all about um, you know, proclaiming oneself and, um, you know, unconditional love. Like with no matter what sign you are, yeah. like, it's about unconditionally loving someone no matter when they were born. But like, um, you know, like with, yeah. with respect as well, it's like demanding respect for yourself because you deserve it. And these are all things that sort of ring true, especially at the beginning of the uh, queer liberation movement where, you know, just yeah. having basic human rights. Like just let me have my job and be gay or just... No, let me have a basic living income and be trans. Like, yeah, I actually think that um, it's still uh, one of the greatest things that ever happened in music history, or one of the most clever things, maybe, is how I should put it. The way Aretha Franklin completely changed the story around respect. Mm. Like, uh, when it was released uh, by Otis Redding, it was about, I don't know... Uh, him cheating on his wife and asking for forgiveness or for something, I don't know. I think um, so. I think it was, it, it didn't have anyone near as an impact as it did when Aretha Franklin absolutely released Absolutely not. And, you know, it then just kind of got claimed in a queer culture in the sense that, you know, the general public thought, okay, this is just about uh, the general public just assumed was, she put it into a misogynist or a feminist perspective. Yeah. But then just kind of claimed it and took it down further. Um, but, you know, I do feel like you have a point. Like, it's not necessarily about how you write a song. It's about how successful it is with the community. Um, you act isn't that also a thing? Like, I remember this specific scene from... Um, have you seen the Netflix show The Get Down? Oh, ages ago. Yeah. yeah. They, they have an, an entire deliberate uh, scheme of, all right, if we want to make this a hit, yeah. we should make this a hit in the, the 
gay disco scene first because then we'll know it will actually be a commercial success. Exactly. And I wonder how aligned to truth that actually is because it sounds like something that is that could be made up for um, you know uh, series to series purpose but at the same time it's too detailed that it might as well be exactly how it went. Well I don't think that particular instance is true like I mean it's obvious that like they will uh, target very niche demographics uh, and have like beta tests on a track sometimes and but also, if you've just got a very niche demographic, it will still be a specific uh, group of people that's A, large enough to get a buzz going, and B, a way to create a loyal audience. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends if you've already broken into that demographic in the first place. Like, if they've already released tracks into uh, the, gay disco t- the gay disco scene already, and... You know, their label is always recognized as a quality label. Right, yeah. But, you know, when you're going through the record store, you're looking through the 45s, like, you're going to look out for the badge, and, you know, is this one I want to look out for? Yeah, isn't that also, uh, no matter what sign you are, it was released on Motown, so, you know... Yeah, yeah, the Supremes were one of the greatest Motown projects. Mm-hmm. And the, mus- uh, the, the instrumentation is done by the Funk Brothers, I believe, so another great disco act. Exactly. Yeah. Um, unlike well, Carla Rae Jepsen. I don't know what label she's with. Sony, isn't it? Yeah, she's, probably. She's with the big three. She is with the big three. Um, all right. So, I would, if we were going to draw a line from queer pop divas, I think if we're going to start with Aretha and Diana Ross, you can actually path the entire thing out. Oh yeah, you can go through every decade, and you can find at least five. Yeah. So we're going to just name a few. Jenna, Whitney, Madonna, Kylie, Beyonce. Cher. Cher. Yes, Cher. And then eventually Lady Gaga, Charlie XCX, and yeah. Uh, Charlie Ray Jepsen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Britney. Did you say Britney? Brit- I, I did not say Britney, but how could I forget? How could you forget Britney? Yeah. I do feel like there is a very problematic story as of how queer pop divas have gotten whitewashed over the years. I mean, we're two white people chatting about this, but it needs to be addressed. Oh, yeah, for sure. It shows a larger pattern in pop music where, you know, the entire story starts with black people and then the whites run with it. Yeah, I think it's also looking at um, modern R&B as well. The amount of modern R&B singers who, um, you know, are white now. As well, right? Like uh, looking in sort of like the '90s with TLC, Destiny's Child, and then sort of later on, you've got like Atomic Kitten, a bunch mm. of three white British women. Right. Yeah. Spice Girls maybe too, a little more mixed uh, race. No, Spice Girls was uh, 1993, and that was purely a pop group act. Like the concept of the Spice Girls was a thing before the Spice Girls was a thing. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So like. Um, but, like, I mean, it's still the same thing. It's a girl group that was engineered, like, in the same way that Motown engineered girl groups. Right. Was there Renettes on Motown as well? Was there a what? The Renettes. Were oh. they on Motown? I'm not entirely sure. I think so, maybe. I don't feel like that's relevant anyway. Like, not, not for this conversation no. we're having right now. Um, 
Let's uh, see if we've got some um, opinions in the audience. Like out of the out of the songs that we've played, everyone out there, do you have specific preferences? Would you go with Carly Rae Jepsen "Run Away with Me" or Diana Ross "The Supremes"? I'll definitely go for Carly Rae. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Why? It's a brilliant pop song, it's a modern pop song, and um, lots of people sometimes say, yeah, old music is better than new music. I don't agree, I disagree, totally. Cool. Anyone else? All right, in that case, let's take... We'll oh, go, no, we've got wait, one more. we've got one more, we've got one more, I'm sorry. Oh, then I would go for the Supremes, just to make it even. I love the vibe, and yeah, I think it's perfect song. All right, a perfect song even. That's cool. Um, got good taste. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a typical cancer to pinch me in the butt like that. Snap, motherfucker. Okay. If we're going to run the statistics, the poll that I put out on Instagram, let's see. The, oh, yeah, you're... I've majorly lost this one mate what's the, what's the percentage um so diana ross no matter what sign you are versus carly ray jepson's run away with me it's um a 63 to 37 split oh damn yeah nice the, the supremes reign supreme um, of course of course it's what they do. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, I think I, th I thought I had more prepared, but you know that's about it. Um, um, yeah, no, I guess then with that we've been Queer Sense. Thank you all for coming so early, and we'll see you next episode. <laughs> all right, yeah, there you have it. Um, Queer Sounds Live, the first one at the Dutch Podcast Festival. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you like Queer Sounds, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash queersounds. Like I said in the beginning of the show, check out our socials at queersoundspod on both Twitter and Instagram, queersoundspod.tumblr.com. If you want to get in touch, you can do so through our contact form on the website, queersounds.com. Also, don't forget to tell a friend, um, because, you know, telling a friend about how you like this podcast, that's the best advertisement a person can get. Um, and, yeah. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>